You are now listening to the Flotaku Podcast, where we talk anime culture, lifestyle, arts, and music. I am your host, recording artist, songwriter, enthusiast of all things otaku, Twizy Ramos. Yo, what is good, Flotaku gang? Welcome to the show, the coolest anime podcast, man. I got a cool show for you tonight. A dark horse in anime, you know, one that not... I feel like it doesn't get talked about much, and that is Megalobox. And then one that does get talked about a lot, not always for the good reasons, and that's Evangelion. Even Genesis Evangelion is one of my favorites, man. Classic. Uh, I got a guest with me, a good friend of mine, very, very talented artist. Um, but before we get into that, I am your host. They call me the Otaku Rapper, Scene Daddy, Recording Artist, Media Personality for All Things Weeb, Twizy Ramos. Follow the socials in the description of Otaku Show on TikTok and Instagram. We pumping out the skits. We pumping out the podcast. You know what it is. And the music and all streaming platforms. So is my guest right in the description. But without further, further ado, talking Megalobox and fighting in general with me, martial artist, spoken word poet, enthusiast of combat sports, spokesperson and facilitator of ethics, an organization dedicated to empowering the youth and communities through art in Calgary. My friend, Brian Francisco, what the F is good, man. Hey, what's good, what's good? Thank you so much for having me. Dude, I'm so excited. We talked about it for a while, but we didn't know what topic we were gonna do. Then we thought we were gonna do Evangelion. I guess a little backstory for the audience. Me and Brian, we were supposed to do Evangelion, right? That was supposed to be the topic. <laughs> so we're like, and then we were gonna go watch it together. And it's like, all right, the new, the new Evangelion, the last Evangelion movie was gonna come out on uh, Amazon Prime. Um, so we started watching it and then we realized we don't know what the fuck's going on. Like what's happening? This yeah. <laughs> like, why does it look like it's seven years later? Who are these characters? Yeah. And then, like, yo, like, yeah. What the fuck even more so than like you normally would. Than you normally regular... expect from Evangelion. Evangelion. And, and I was trying to not embarrass myself in front of you, the saying <laughs> that I haven't seen it in a while, but be like, oh, I remember these characters trying to play it. Like I remember what happened last <laughs> We both had no idea who these new characters as was being introduced and shit. So that 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 was crazy. We just what did we do? Um, we just ended up watching the previous movie. We skipped three movies, right? I think so. Yeah, we ended up on on two. I think Evangelion two. Because um Netflix Netflix confused us. Netflix had it as in like the la the end of Evangelion. That was the last movie. So I thought it was the end of Evangelion going into the last one. I'm pretty sure we're not the only ones that made this mistake. Like oh I mean like Oh if- yeah, you basically have to like look up how the entire thing was made in order to like figure out what happened. And exactly. And it's like, okay, so what did we miss? 1.033, you are not alone. No, 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 that's two point zero five four you are welcome and it's like yo like this is not part one part two it's not as easy to follow right yeah almost like uh, every other one of those shows where the meta of the show like what happens surrounding the show is just Mm -hmm. as important and like relevant as what's going on in the show yeah man and you you know what it is it's like it's not because it's just like parts after parts after parts because there are alternate endings alternate universes to the main storyline so there's a main storyline so i guess let's talk about the main storyline in the main series before the movies i guess um yeah man what was the fascination for you even though we have like our frustrations with the show but then we love the show at the same time what keeps you going and uh wanting to watch the final movie that we haven't seen yet um i think just uh the characters in general and just how ahead of it timed it seemed i saw a lot of deep metaphors about sort of war Mm self-defense as well as coming of age and maturing Mm -hmm. as well as self-hatred and depression which like when i found out about the meta of the entire story was something that uh the creator Mm -hmm. uh uh, anno uh Mm -hmm. went through as well which really heavily influenced sort of um the ebb and flow in the narratives of the mm-hmm. overall different versions that you see of the story. Yeah, and like, I don't know about you, but for me, when I started watching it, going into it, I actually didn't know anything about that. So like, I, I thought it was just a mech anime. And it's just like, yo, why is this talked about so much? And it came out in the 90s. Oh, I thought it was just like a really good Gundam. <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was not expecting the clusterfuck that it was about to deliver. I was not expecting it to go Donnie Darko on you with like multiple universe, multiple endings. And then just like the whole topic of like everything you said, like the more mature themes. Um, Do you think that's what made it like stand out, especially for its time with all the anime that's coming out mainstream wise at least? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's difficult for us to imagine, especially mm-hmm. the social impact that it probably had on the genre as well as uh, the climate of young people mm. at the time. Um, I know that economically Japan was um, uh, advancing fairly well mm-hmm. on like uh, the world stage, but also putting a lot of pressure on young people. As I think, I believe that um, around that time, Japan had really high suicide rates among Japanese youth in terms of that. And I think that sort of story sort of paralleled and resonated with a lot of young people in Japan at the time. And I think that's why Shinji is such a kind of iconic character. For everything he lacks, he's an iconic character because he's almost so relatable because of that is what people are going through. Because you have to think about it too. Like, I think it came out mid-90s, correct? I think some somewhere mm-hmm. around, around that time. Mm-hmm. Mental health was not taken that seriously. Yeah, I, at least I, not as serious as like today, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can't imagine what that conversation would have been like in Japan, which is a fairly conservative mm-hmm. traditional country as it is even today. Yeah. by today's standards but it was like in uh the 90s during that period yeah it's, and that's why for an anime to come out like this and talk about and cover these things and um you know and, and compared to everything else that's coming around that time it's definitely ahead of its time and because it was ahead of its time it did piss a lot of audiences off because like oh what happened what happened to the second half of the season it's like why did the art style change why did the pace change like how did you feel about that shift when watching the series? Yeah. Um, yeah, back to the original question. I felt like I was really drawn to it because it showed teenage characters under incredibly mm. insane, surreal uh, pressures and scenarios, mm-hmm. um, acting like actual teenagers, like the children that they are and the kind of things that they're going through. So on top of like a country basically putting their entire self-defense and military budget into like <laughs> high school kids they're regular yes. high school kids and stuff like that going they're still trying puberty. to live like high school kids eh? yeah like, i'm trying like, to have like, and shit like <laughs> yeah right yeah that, that spoke to me uh, the series spoke to me a lot as uh, as a youth worker as well mm. and uh just kind of like a microcosm of uh or metaphor for the kind of pressures that uh kids are under and the ridiculous amount of pressures that uh, society puts them under I while expected them to come out as fully functional, sane human beings. So that really spoke to me as well. On that. Yeah, but at the same time, they also got to experience teenager, like being a teenager. Like, you know what I mean? If they don't experience all that normal stuff, it's going to be hard for them <laughs> to kind of like take this pressure in the future. Because like, you see like the anime too, like there's even like alternate um, parts of the show or it was it the movie where they show like, oh, imagine they didn't have this stress level of performing of saving the country and all that jazz and we're just regular teenagers and then they show like comedic like oh shinji checking out asuka's panties and accidentally yeah yeah it's just like yeah going back going back to the tonal shift of it i felt like it was almost like a sarcastic kind of okay like falling under corporate pressure it was almost uh, uncomfortable to see those parts because we know the tone of the show and we know what it's trying to do. We know the the, the the mental state of the the creator going into it. So when we see those parts, it's almost like it is sarcastic. Like it's almost poking fun at fun of it. Right? Yeah, it's just your fantasy and world. That's that's what depressed people do. That's what depressed, yeah, yeah. depressed kids and creative kids do. They put on like this sarcastic <laughs> mask in place of yeah. like the one that like hides like their real self. So like yeah. there's so many uh, like meta narratives to the entire show and the plot. And the total ship is incredibly weird and. Stuff. Yeah, and and that, that's the reason why a lot of people like disliked it. But for me, that's actually what highlighted it because I th- I really thought it was just gonna be a, a regular mech anime, and then here we are. Um, it's an anime that's being created as the the creator is changing his mind state. He's hitting depression. He's hitting you know the hard time in Japan. All of a sudden, the writing changes. Like how much how many animes do that? And then he does. He also like he's mindful. But he's also just creating the art despite what people are, uh, you know, are backlashing about, like their responses. He almost like did a revenge ending for End of Evangelion. Hey, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost <laughs> like an FU. Yeah. To, uh, Showing the fans watching the movie. And yeah. Everything. Fans, critics, people that people that are just saying that, like, as a creative person, you owe me this kind of like attitude, which you know I kind of respect at the end of the day. Yeah, it's a jab, you know what I mean? He's taking risks, and then here we are. Like, you know, the last three movies, the 1.0, 2.0, I I can't remember for life of me what each one is called, and then the final ending. But you know what I'm hearing, though? I'm hearing from, like, 
well youtube uh, anime youtubers the, the the ending as hard as it is to satisfy everyone especially with what it's created is very satisfying but not in the way that you think it would be that's what i'm hearing i would imagine <laughs> that, that would be a very excellent sort of redemptive story because you almost sort of get mad at the amount of remakes and edits and director's cuts that oh come yeah out and how and many stuff. endings like we don't even but know then, yeah yeah when you tie the series to sort of the creator's mental health yeah and then seeing the reboots and seeing um uh sort of the recuts and the revisioning and how that's tied to his mental self-help journey and how mm -hmm. he's sort of working through things and sort of displaying that to the audience it's hard it's hard not to sort of cheer for that and sort of like think that it would sort of end on a positive yeah. more satisfying note as opposed to like some of the original darkness that would uh we've seen through the series yeah i wonder if they are like for sure like i wonder if they're gonna go for a more lighter tone or are they actually gonna you know have a darker tone like it always has been i just i just keep reminding i just keep reminding of that meme where it's like everyone's clapping for shinji's like good job shinji but then like i'm just like picturing like the the, the creator putting himself in the movie and it's shinji <laughs> and everyone else after the ending he's like applauding him and shit yo that'd be so wild yeah that's is it reflective of reality oh yeah yeah so um Everybody that hasn't seen Evangelion, I think you should at least give it a shot. Um, as to where to start you, where, where, if I were to recommend Evangelion to people, like, should we say the series first or should we go with the very first movie, like 90s movie or like, I think the series, eh? I, I thought that was a smart decision to reintroduce mm -hmm. it is to, was to make sort of like a, a quadrilogy, the four movies and stuff mm -hmm. like that standalone, yeah. and then watch it from front to back of that sort of chronology as sort of like the updated retelling. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I did watch it for, with uh, sort of like the original broadcast on um, Netflix and the original twenty six episodes in the movie after. Yeah, I think highly, I highly recommend the original broadcast because you'll just see the tonal shift. I feel like you'll you'll appreciate the movie more if you see the the anime because you'll see the tonal shift between a regular mech fantasy anime about teenagers, you know, just trying to live life, and then they're becoming this, you know, their weapon and uh, you know the, the the controllers and then seeing the tonal shift like what the hell happened in the second season you need to see it to appreciate the movie i think so yeah 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 i, but, did, I did see it as like an, an, an analogy for uh, mm -hmm. child so child soldiers and the mentalities that uh, that mm -hmm. sort of inflicts on kids and youth bro and like yo facts like this i'm so excited to watch the last movie but i'm i'm one movie away before the last movie so definitely down to check that last out with you that one out with you and see what our reactions is man and make that another conversation you know what i'm saying so much to talk about yeah yeah i definitely binge watched uh this one no i can't imagine what it must have been like that's during hard its to original binge watch. Time. yeah that's Going hard to week binge to watch week. yeah yeah it's, it's a hard binge watch but i also couldn't imagine what it was like when it was originally airing and like mm -hmm. having it go episode to episode and having like the audience like what is going on in this series and how are they going to end this or end it end it so uh yeah man we definitely have the benefit of hindsight after like exactly 20 years like more than uh, 20 years since the yeah exactly like, uh, i i didn't know any spoilers yet so i'm excited to check out the movie with you so since we lack the 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 knowledge to talk about the ending we decided <laughs> we don't make this podcast about evangelion we saved that for someone else or in the future. Uh, but one anime that I did want to bring up to Brian that I put him on uh, is Megalobox. Megalobox, so y'all know, this is a boxing anime, um, cyberpunk, a little post-apocalyptic anime. And it's cool, man. Like for me, when I first started watching it, um, I like underdog, underdog stories, but I don't like cheesy told underdog stories. It did remind me a lot of like classic 90s anime based on like the, the pacing of the storytelling. Um, a little bit like Trigun and Cowboy Bebop-ish, but in its own way, not trying to be a copycat. What was your mm -hmm. first impression on like the first few episodes, especially? I put you on it because I'm like, yo, you needed you need to watch some fighting anime, but like newer, because like there's a lot of good fighting animes in the 90s. Hajime no Ipo, like one that you put me on. Yeah. Uh, a newer fighting anime. So what was your first initial impression of it? Uh, my impression of it was it was uh yeah, I could definitely see a lot of like classic uh sort of influences and in anime mm -hmm. tropes. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't until I looked into it that it's actually a retelling of an older boxing anime called uh, Shito no Joe, which I'm down to check out after this, mm, especially, yeah. and just putting it into like a more futuristic setting. But um, yeah, I've always so been the old drawn. one. If they didn't have the gearless, sorry. Um, do you, do you know if the old, the the you know the old version had the gear? Or no, I think I think it was thing. just uh, just a straight boxing sort fire, of uh, fire. So I like it. it was a bantamweight. I think it was uh, yeah. The awesome. character's name was a Joe. Joe Yabuki, I think. Oh, I think okay. So like yeah, yeah. the same idea of Joe, and it carries through with a lot of the metaphors of like boxers 
as stray dogs or animals or so the whole gear thing is a new twist yeah the gear thing is a new twist which i think sort of like updates that kind of analogy of Mm. boxers and fighters being analogous or compared to animals versus now being compared to machines Mm -hmm. which i think was like which was like a really cool sort of uh animal versus machine type uh metaphor throughout this entire series which i really enjoyed yeah and it's like so normal to them like this whole gear thing to me like oh i don't understand it you know as a viewer it's just like what exactly does it do i don't i, I don't even have all the answers i know it, it raises performance in a way it raises i guess like they don't get us hurt hurt as much either but um yeah but it's going back to like people i, I don't know i don't know about you but it feels like people in the anime don't really respect the, the the analogy of like combat sports that it's more like cockfighting to them with like let's put gears on them and let's just be entertained to how much they can peak their performance and beat the fuck out of each other basically so <laughs> that's kind of like how i saw the show in the beginning like do, are these people really interested in like boxing and the fighting spirit or were more like kind of 50 50 and be like oh who you know the gear performance and you know just how much violence can we see <laughs> exactly yeah right the idea yeah. of like um technology enthusiasts being into yeah. it for technology versus technology versus mm. like human enthusiasts being in it of like uh what's one person capable of against another person and then sort of blending those two questions together and seeing different characters that adopt different philosophies in that sort of equation i thought was yeah. really really cool and that added that adds so much more like in the fight game too because you know there's there's the, the in a in real fighting there's always like the fighter and then the coaches and the trainers mentality all that but then imagine in real life there's also the mechanic mentality because where this is part mm-hmm. of it it becomes like nascar now where we're not just crediting the fighter itself but oh but who's your engineer who's your mechanic yeah so it all comes into play so i don't know that actually is really interesting because i'm really interested in that little kid that like you know the <laughs> the kid that just like knew knew everything and like he was he was key to to definitely the team yeah definitely because um Fighting is an individual combat sport, mm-hmm. but so many different fighters are the products of the team training and the people and time and money that have been invested mm-hmm. in them. Whether that be through their fight camps, their teammates, their coaches, their sparring partners, strength and conditioning, their dietitians, that kind of thing. It's always the, the product. And like, mm-hmm. I've had some experience with like coaching on like an amateur level oh, and yeah. things like that. And it's an insane like level of power and trust that uh, you're putting into someone. So imagine like a live video game with real life, like painful consequences. You shout out something to do and the person out there just goes ahead and like executes it to the best of their ability. Oh, that must feel so good. It's insane. And like the amount of sync uh, Mm -hmm. uh, and synchronization and trust that's going into that kind of live scenario, I think was uh, also explored really well Mm -hmm. in uh, Megalobox. I thought it was really cool. So you 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 relate with the Nanbu character as well. Besides, because you know we definitely in this podcast why we wanted to bring it in is just that I wanted to see the fighter's mentality between Gearless Joe and your fighter mentality. But you relate with Nanbu as well, saying that you have some coaching experience, eh? Because yeah, yeah, he really seemed like a good coach. Like you know he was his character was so explored into like his background to why he wanted to coach um, Gearless Joe and just the way that he called the shots and everything. You know like, he looked like somebody that's actually looking up for this guy. Yeah, and like uh, even with the character of Aragaki, and like even that's like that's a real life trope that's uh, happened in boxing before. So mm. the former student of a coach is fighting against their arc. current student I love uh, story arc, and uh, the, the falling out of uh, ex coaches. I mean, like a real life example that we could um, point to would be uh, John Jones, Greg Jackson's gym versus Ooh. Rashad Evans when he was first starting out of uh, the old student ex champion against. Yeah, two alpha males in yeah, uh, yeah. one gym, one coach having to pick a side. Yeah. As opposed to like go both ways. So like, yeah. I, lo- I love that. Like they really covered like the backstory. I guess let's go into that. Like, I think that's when the anime really started to gear up for me. Um, is when they started covering opponents. Because I like when I'm, this is the reason why I love MMA, any combat sports. Like you're not really just cheering for one person. And then you know a little bit about the backstory with the other person. It gets to the point where you're such a big fan of big fan of like any um combat sports where you don't really you're not really picking one side it's just like where the best one win because you like both at a point like and you understand both enough and i like when um anime does that it's like let's cover 
the uh the, like the aragaki like the the extra ca- the characters the opponents let's give them a little arc of their story to why they want to beat gearless joe and then all of a sudden i'm conflicted about who i'm rooting for um i definitely felt that in the show with a lot of yeah opponents. and like yeah. the tournament format it's such like mm-hmm. almost a cliche trope in lots of animes you see it in like uh baki the grappler tengen ashura hajime no Ippo, just but just the idea of like tournament bracket or a fighting event where fighters square off and fight each other and you're testing their characters uh, uh, or their fighting mentalities against one another to see who comes out on top. I mean, that's that's almost as real as it gets with actual fight tournaments. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. If we get, by the way, if, if season two or three or in the future gets an actual tournament arc, it's over. Like this anime is going to be so good. Like imagine a real life, like Naruto, Yu Yu Hakusho tournament arcs where it's just like, <laughs> we actually have, we actually see the 16 bracket. What I'm meaning by that is like, we don't just follow Sir, uh, Gearless Joe, where we actually follow the other brackets. So we're like, we're, we're actually fi- following the other fighters. So like, oh, who would be a good opponent for for, for Gearless Joe? Then it, that would be so much more interesting. That's what I wish. But the problem with this anime, unfortunately enough, is it's too short. Even for season one, and I know there's season two, but it's it's short and there's so much more things we can implore. Or do you think that's a good thing, the way that they pace it like that? Yeah, yeah. I do I do think that it's fairly even the pace. A really, really simple story mm-hmm. to tell as well, because you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Uh, I think with this particular genre, but just making really good characters that uh, are complex to either cheer for or cheer against, um, I think always makes for an interesting narrative and an interesting story, both in real fighting and within um, like something as surreal as anime. Because it's a fantastical, like very surreal, futuristic anime, but there's a realism and grittiness to it that comes oh, dude, it, out it, of the character. You, you almost forget that it's futuristic to the point because like the the, the grittiness and the supposed apocalyptic like like from the opening episode man like the first of all this gearless joe guy reminds me a lot of spike spiegel and we I think we were talking about that like from cowboy mm-hmm. people but the reason why spike spiegel is such an iconic character is just like oh the guy just feels real you know what i mean in like a fantasy anime he's the most human out of this whole world of cowboy bebop of like outer space and everything he just seems so real and gearless joe feels like that on this you know dystopian post-apocalyptic world where everyone's using gear and stuff like that oh he just wants to fight without gear he's like just a junkyard dog which is like his name really and yeah. that's why it's like really relatable and he's like from the slums and whatnot but even not just gearless joe even the other opponents and other characters like yuri yuri's mm-hmm. a fantastic character especially when we find out about mikio like uh the, the 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 president like the the, the chick um yeah. his little brother yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. when yeah. i'm like oh this guy's just like a dick and then you find out like his backstory to why you know like how he got his gear his backstory with yuri and stuff like that that's pretty deep too man like i thought that was too yeah and again like yeah. there's like the just different philosophies versus what makes a fighter whether or not it's technology whether or not it's gear whether or not it's training or in like you this joe's case whether it's not like whether it's just like raw mm-hmm. like human fighter instinct and stuff like that so, yeah for real, and- a lot a lot of human analogy and like this is the anime the kind of anime i like i love shonen i love fighting but i like a lot of like kind of psychology into the fights and when it comes to anime so this is this was my dark horse anime or i think around 2018 when it came out because you know it's what we love covering in this podcast a lot of like popular shows but then this is going under the radar it's a little bit more popular now but it definitely went under the radar um oh yeah soundtrack what do you think about the soundtrack like a little bit of a hip-hop slash kind of like kind of desert punk vibes too eh yeah, definitely. Yeah, like the uh, the hip hop and the hip hop themes and like the futuristic themes kind of like uh, gave it a grittiness to it, sort of like Samurai Champloo in the yeah. sense that like it he also got that fro almost like in the in between Mugen from Samurai Champloo and Spike. Yeah, like, Gearless yes, Joe looks like much, he's yeah. between those two characters, like a baby of those two characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely has like some Spike vibes. It both in like character, like how like how they feel about themselves as like mm-hmm. human beings like very raw very animal like nat- yeah. very natural and instinct based and then jet well is like the life. coach <laughs> jet is like nanbu yo yeah. there's actually there's actually more similarities that i'm thinking about it the kid sashio that's edward because he's the mechanic edward fixes everything around the ship he's a computer geek yeah it's like yeah, yo there's the so much wizard. similarities yeah. now <laughs> yeah it's so crazy yo that's wild and yeah like, I, I love the grittiness and everything but you know oh let's talk about back to the hip-hop influences and the soundtrack there's one th- there's one part that i thought was so funny though and that's when sashio burst into a full-on theatric sing-song rap 
<laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what, what round or episode that was in, but yeah. That caught me off guard, bro. Like it was during I'm like, is he rapping to his own montage right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Like, it was what I know. It's when they split up and they're like, oh Joe's not fighting. And then but Joe's gotta fight. And he starts into a rap. I didn't watch it in Japanese. I watched it in English though. I wonder what that's like in Japanese. But yo, that caught me off guard so much. Should they would do more of that or was that like too extra? Uh no, I I, I like the way they sort of incorporated because I found that like in previous animes throughout the genre like hip-hop has been kind of been disrespected like it's been associated with almost like gutter culture or, or like uh, uh, a really stereotypical rapper character yeah yeah yeah, yeah. whereas mm-hmm. here I felt like it was it was respect we took it seriously I felt like they hired the producers and they gave it mm-hmm. a good aesthetic mm-hmm. and like sort of the hip-hop was sort of incorporated with themes of like globalization Right, and right. themes of like just like culture sharing and culture influence and stuff like that, which gave it a more optimistic do you think uh, uh Gorilla Joe, Nanbu, or Yuri should have their own rap song in season two then? Should they have their own breakthrough performance? <laughs> that, like a make Tyrone Woodley, I should have yeah. I should have beat your ass kind of track. <laughs> yeah, like everybody gets a track. I, uh, so I, a little I, montage of Gorilla Joe and his, his little montage. I can't think of too song. many successful rappers slash fighters <laughs> that have that have like had good shit turn out for them. Like yeah, Roy Jones Jr., Tyrone Woodley. Like, and that's ooh. the thing of Gearless Joe fails, loses his belt, just turns into a rapper in season three. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm still Gearless Joe. So uh, that'd be wild, man. And like, back to what I was saying that, uh, you know, I, I feel like there's so much potential. And I love the pacing, by the way. Um, you know, it's not too slow, it's not too fast. It has the pacing of a 90s anime, which is hard to do too, because you're trying to please you know people today who are like just kind of wants everything fast everything is fed to them like really fast and then to have a pay- an anime like this that's well paced in a 90s style it's a little bit more riskier to do these days and also to have beautiful animation all the fighting animation is so fluid the way that the gear the sweat is when the gear bangs on each other i think it's like beautiful to do that on an anime that feels nice is really tricky what did you find of the animation and also how do you how realistic was it like with the fighting like you know the swaying the foot movement like did i hit home yeah i thought um sports animes in general and sports mangas mm-hmm. have been great at really detailing the drama and the narrative that happens in real life actual sports and events but that uh, a, lot of, a lot of times you miss just sort of as a casual sports viewer or somebody mm-hmm. in the audience and things like that. Like yeah. what's going through a fighter's head when they're dodging punches or what's going uh, through their body when um, when uh, they're throwing punches or on defense or on offense. And the psychology of the fight game and breaking down the dramatics behind that as well as what's sort of the coaching and the philosophies behind those fighting styles and behind those fighting techniques and breaking it down into like really high tension, high dramatic moments, I thought was executed really beautifully. That's why the the slow motion, you know, some people don't like how um, the fights slow down and then they show us what they're thinking. I think that's actually what high, heightens the, 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 you know, the tense, the tense is like, it's just like, oh, what is he thinking when he evades this punch or how, how hard he's gonna punch. I love all that actually. Yeah, because in real life, you're making split-second decisions that uh, just based on complete instinct and trust in your corner, your coaching, and the things that brought you there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was showed like showed brilliantly in a lot of times. A lot of times, it's just a, a quick decision on whether I throw this punch or that punch or whether I'm a few inches forward or a few inches ahead that uh, end up being the deciding factor for a knockout blow. Exactly. And then you think about that in real life fighting, like that's a split decision compared to the anime spending five minutes to make that decision, whether he should throw the punch, he should counter, he should sway, you know, and I, I think I think it's done well. Now, my problem with that is that by the time I got to season nine, I mean, uh, episode nine or 10, I was like, yo, we haven't fought Yuri yet. Then how fast was I going to fight? I was kind of disappointed that Yuri was a one fight episode and it just wrapped up just like that. Like I didn't it celebrate, was a, I was just like- It was a one, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. a little disappointed in the, the climax and the build up to that. Yeah, I thought but, Yuri would literally be like an arc in its own. Like you could yeah, have done season two with Yuri. Yeah, because in previous fights and previous rounds and stuff, I thought I thought like the Building pacing was up. really well and how they mm. would sometimes start with almost the closing moments of a fight and then tell exactly. the rest of the story. Exactly through flashbacks and training and flashbacks in uh, dialogue and flashlogs and uh, story plot and story points and stuff like that. And then Yo. building up to the knockout blow. 
is really yeah, cool. Yeah, yo, bet. Like that that's what I expected out of the Yuri fight. It's just like, oh, I know we built it enough throughout the entire season, but I'm still I was still expecting a little bit more like promo cutting between the two. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Fight. Like we gotta yeah. give it some more. So it, it's a rushed ending, but you know, thankfully we got season two. Now I want to yeah. talk about season two with you. Um so you didn't see the tra- did you see the trailer for season two? Like we both haven't watched season two yet. It's out, but uh we just got into the anime. Have you seen the trailer by chance? No, I have not seen the trailer, no. no. Okay, let me tell you. Gearless Joe has a full on beard. A full on beard. That's so a very, see- very, very like male thing to do for after like anime? a big transformation thing is just grow for facial anime, hair. Dude, that's so different. You know, anime characters don't grow beards. You're probably the bad guy if you have a beard or a side character. But a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a protagonist with a full beard, that doesn't yeah. happen, yo. So Means some, some Joe, stuff happened to them. Some stuff happened to some them. Some shit. That's what I'm about to say. It's like <laughs> when you see season one, season two, he has a full beard and he looks homeless. Some shit went down. <laughs> and I was watching this and um, it just looks like there's a lot more. It's a lot darker um, because there's a lot more outside the ring conflicts, which I think I would love at least. By that, I mean, like I saw like I saw I, I don't know. I don't know what the ethnicity of Gearless Joe is, actually. Like, I don't know even like what country this thing is but i saw like a clip where it's just like you immigrants get out of here like and it was like posted on someone's door and i think it was Mm -hmm. was joe's door or whatever like immigrants are not welcome here and then um he's gruffier and then i saw him taking drugs like he had like pills and shit and here's the big part i think nanbu dies between season one and two because every time i saw nanbu in the trailer it had that like kind of like filter that it's a flashback and yeah he still had his eye he still had his eye so everything seems like a flashback. And then he's getting into drugs and shit. And yo, he's looking at himself in a mirror with a full beard. You just know. <laughs> you yeah. Just know. <laughs> that makes me think of so many like real life, actual life fighter nerves. The idea of, yeah. of the aging fighter, the fighter mm-hmm. that uh, had their trainer and mentor pass away or switched mm-hmm. uh, mentorship or the trainer that just had all these outside pressures outside of the ring that sort of or got, got too them. much taste of fame and couldn't handle it. Yeah, and just like sort of walked away from the sport, got disillusioned with the sport, or trying to even like having trouble like saying goodbye to the sport mm-hmm. or evolving their role in the sport. So yeah, a lot of like really cool, interesting places I think they could take it in the world of Megalobox with uh, exactly, Ex- yo facts like, and like losing the trainer. This gives me some Rocky vibes, man. I love Rocky. Yeah, you seen the Rocky movies? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, very I, it's much. Like you yeah. know where he lost, where he lost. Mickey, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like it gives me that kind of like mood to it, this whole like trailer. And it's like imagine that. Like, how do you? I don't know, man. Any predictions before we see season two? I know a lot of y'all listening might have already seen it, but I mean, this might be entertaining. Like, based on that trailer, like, what are you expecting? What are you? What, is, just, what are your thoughts? Just the beard alone means like they're probably. <laughs> Gonna take it in a dark. Yeah, he's got like your more, beard, a little, a little longer, a little scurry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's got more like post-apocalyptic. Yeah, uh, sort of like kind of tone, cause like, cause like how is like how is uh, the social climate gonna be? Uh, yeah. Well, so, if you think about it, cause he was champion, he was already on top of season one. So what if we skip and like he was on top, but then his trainer died. And then like he was mentally not there anymore so he started getting into drugs and shit so he almost didn't care about fighting so he lost that and then it's almost like some young gun calling him out like yo are you the gearless joe we know you was or like are you this washed up character now so i think yeah kind of like tommy what's his name was it tommy gun tommy rocky yeah Yeah, rocky five yo people hate on rocky five but i thought rocky five was absolutely brilliant because of that where like he's past his private and there's this new guy that's just like calling him out like you old man like you you can't take us new gen or whatever yeah 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 i can see that but it's like you know it's like uh, together like you you look at it and it's like you almost root for the older guy because like you know the shit that this been through and then the younger guy like these new cats like whatever new characters is coming into megalobox season two you're like yo but they don't know shit they're excited right now they're hungry but they haven't been through shit yet so i'm gonna root for the older guy so i, I feel like this season will make me like Julius joe as a whole character even more mm-hmm. which is always hard in real life because you always want to root for the older character but age is just something that like catches up to all of us real, yeah it's it catches hard. up to everyone it gets harder and harder for uh, older fighters to ask their older body to do what like their younger selves used to be able yeah, to do. Yeah, and in, in real life fighting, like we've seen so many MMA fights where we're rooting for the old guy that we've seen. We've had so many great memories watching as a kid growing up. And we're like, yo, he can still throw one more. Watch him get absolutely destroyed and knocked out. And then it just hurts. 
but that's the reality of it. And that's, <laughs> that's the ugliness and the real life drama and narrative and sadness that comes with, you know, prize mm. fight. Yeah. So, man, you as a martial artist, I think let's bridge it a little bit more on Megalobox itself. Like, um, yeah, how did you, what are some takeaways? What are some things that you thought like really hit you, you know, as a fighter in Megalobox that they did really well compared to um, you like being in fight camp, preparing for a fight and whatnot? Or being um, yeah, I think... Um, I think the show really, um, by hyping up sort of uh, and exploring the details and the nuances of the relationship between Nanbu and uh, Joe, just um, the importance and trust that goes into a fighter-coach relationship. Yeah. And how fighters are just expected to fight. And it's literally up to the coach to uh, have that person's life in their hands to determine when their fighter is capable of fighting versus when it's best to throw in the towel and save their fighter from damage and help them to be able to, you know, uh, learn and live to fight another, literally, quite literally live to fight another day. Because a lot of people don't sort of don't know that it's kind of lost on them. They don't think that way, right? Yeah. Yeah, because when you're taking damage in there, that's life-altering damage. But you're, you're there, you're like, your, your mindset is the fighting your adrenaline is way up. You don't think about that stuff. Like, you're just, yeah. You just yeah. You're taking years off of your life, let alone your career potentially there. So there is a lot of trust and a lot of high stakes that goes into uh, prize fighting and stepping into a cage. Now, did you ever have a, a sensei like that, like kind of like a Nanbu? a coach like that like did you ever have a coach like that like nanbu um situations like that um no fortunately i've been very lucky to mm -hmm. be on teams and to be in camps and to be at uh, gyms mm -hmm. where i felt like fighter safety was sort of prioritized it's kind of like an old school mm -hmm. method to uh, let your fighter take the brain damage and go out dying on their shield uh it's sort of starting to be a shift towards uh, protecting fighters protecting safety and knowing yeah. when to call it quits and making yeah, that good. sort of unpopular decision yeah. of uh, quitting on the stool or calling or uh, looking out for your fighter's health and safety and throwing in the yeah, towel. Yeah, you hate that shit, eh? You know, you see like in boxing or like MMA fights when they throw in the towel and then people are booing. Like, what do you mean, boo? He's dying out there. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, the last time you want him to see someone to see this fighter. You know right. Saying? Like you get in the cage and you let a <laughs> professional fighter that's probably on steroids and gear yeah. And that's <laughs> training their entire life to like destroy yeah. you, take punches and kicks at your face. <laughs> so with all that scary things, you know, that we mentioned, like what introduced you to fighting? Like, how did you get into it? What, what, what sparked your interest in the very beginning? And where did you start, by the way? Was it boxing or like what practice? I actually started terribly with karate. So I was always like a huge weeb <laughs> when I was a kid. And I, I think it was Dragon Ball Z that started. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z and low-key Sailor Moon, because that's what my sister watched like right after and stuff like that. Yeah. Those are the yeah. animes that got me into it. And, then, uh, and Power Rangers. And I was always into like sort of uh, the drama of mm. martial arts and kind of like the weird mysticism of it. Mm. And oh, the idea that... Too. Yeah, and like going too. back to like the first UFC and martial arts, that the idea that... Uh, regardless of your size stature how you were the things you were born with that uh technique and knowledge and wisdom and like um, knowing how your body moves to your advantage mm -hmm. and get you out of a fight or get you uh out of tough situations potentially save your life yeah so was it karate then how did you bridge to becoming like martial artist from there so like a full mma fighter yeah i took karate as a kid and i did terribly like i couldn't get like the katas right and stuff yeah. like that and like my dad uh, he paid a lot of money for, me, for it at the time at the community <laughs> yeah. center and he was like drilling me on the katas and i wasn't getting it because like my dad like was like yelling at me and putting yeah, all this high I, pressure I, on yeah. me and i couldn't get it right and then he like took me out of it and i didn't touch martial arts again until i was uh like a teenager like 18 or 19 and stuff like that and i was yeah. training downtown in muay thai and uh, during this time i had always been a huge martial arts and ufc fan going back to, like when i was a kid and like we'd get mm -hmm. uh VHS tapes and trailers and uh, pay-per-view cables for the commercials for uh, UFC 1, The Ultimate Ultimate and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. all these old school things. And then from Muay Thai, I eventually uh, got into like uh, high school wrestling and grappling. Wrestling. And uh, into Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. And uh, yeah, get, uh, getting into amateur fights and stuff like that. So, so, so like let's, leading up, um, your first like, your first fight. What was the what was the promotion called, by the way? 
Uh, I would do like smoker tournaments and stuff like that. Where yeah. It's, yeah, you're. Uh, it's like gyms organizing uh, different fighters to uh, come get experience. Yeah. Um, against one another. So and, uh, continuous tournaments as well. Your your first cage fight. Um, I had the I, I had the fortunate opportunity of watching it through someone's iPhone. <laughs> Live. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> the stream sucked. <laughs> Super underground. Yeah. It happened in the middle of COVID. So like, yeah, that was, was, it was a whirlwind of like mental angst, anguish and expression yeah. and like a whole bunch of things that uh, had to go wrong before it finally uh, happened right for me. Stuff. Yeah. So yeah. Crazy and, yeah, uh, that was an amazing experience getting to watch that, being with a bunch of like homies, getting to see you get the knockout. Homie got the yeah. knockout. Because you guys weren't allowed in the venue because uh, it was COVID. I, suppose, I was supposed to be at uh, like uh, the Deerfoot uh, Hotel and yeah, Casino, but uh, we had to scared. like stream it online because of yeah, social distancing I think I would have been scared rules. in the venue too. Because then I would have been like, shit, that's my homie. Now that I'm thinking about it. Then I think about everything about throwing in the towel. I feel like if you threw one punch, I'll ask somebody to throw in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, hit one, you get hit with one punch, I'm like, throw in the towel! <laughs> right? me out there. I can't imagine fighters that bring their like their children and their wives or and their significant Ooh, others or their insane. husbands and stuff like that Yeah, to uh, their matches. Then it's like, I mean, your girl is like taking the video of it, but I know she's probably like, anxiety ridden at the time so you can see the movements in the video I'm like no keep it straight we want to see the yeah body. yeah yeah there's definitely times where like i was getting beat up in the yeah. cage and i'm like oh man i hope i don't go unconscious while like my girlfriend is forced to film it for all my friends at home <laughs> yeah we were scared though because round one it was tough so like he doesn't go into that like yo it was a mindset you get jitters like pre-fight jitters uh going in Thank you for using our track, by the way. Shout out to Rubik's to Robin Padilla. Hype. I wish yeah. we were there to see it live. But yeah, pre-fight jitters. What was it like mentality when you were in there? Everything was, was it moving super slow or fast? Uh, yeah, there's a weird, like uh, some moments you would like would happen super slow yeah. where like your anxiety is high and you're almost like, um, you're almost having like a panic attack and like having yeah. trouble focusing on the present. But then like, um, as, too much outside like were you were you focused keyed in just right on the fighter across from you or were you thinking a little bit too much distracted about the outside stuff like really you were thinking oh. like oh i hope i don't get unconscious during live stream like were you overthinking a lot of the outside things yeah yeah um i'd say like about probably an hour before the fight happens that's when you're like starting to warm up and get through it like your mind is going in a million different directions you're thinking of your friends your family the people that are around you but then as you get more closer towards um the actual walkout time and like your music's about to hit you start to gain more and more confidence uh you go from like feeling the lowest of low to like i can't do this or i should go home i want to throw up or like crap my pants out there or something like that to gaining more and more confidence and mm. to believing you belong out there and to believing you were born for that, to believing that you're unbeatable kind of mm. thing. So like, it's like a switch that happens and a gradual transformation that happens from the back room all the way to the walkout. Oh, for dude, me you were first. confident. You were, you were, you were howling. You were smashing the cage and shit. Yeah. So I remember the mentality on that. Like, okay, he's hungry, he's hungry. They remember round one was scary because uh, you got touched a couple of times. Y'all gotta see this fight. Is this fight on YouTube or anything like that? By the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's somewhere on YouTube. What, what what are we searching up? Or you know, let's tag. Uh, I think it's uh, the name of the, the name of the program was called uh, Wimp to Warrior Season Three, and they would like train uh, people from uh, from little to no um, mixed martial art experience to towards yeah. having um, a full fight camp and then a fight on an amateur. And it's Brian Francisco versus. Uh, his name was Nick Morgan. Was, uh, okay yeah so th- back to my point um round one you were getting touched i was so scared because then you were getting held and then i remember from what i remember he hit you with something good like at a body shot and you stuck your tongue out and you were laughing and i just remember in mma that means they're hurt <laughs> so were yeah. you actually hurt they're like yeah. uh i don't think i was hurt i was just no? kind of, okay, was you like- were actually just taunting him like that I was a little pissed at myself because i won like i yeah. got like crazy amounts of adrenaline going through me and yeah. two, I'm actually just like enjoying the moment. And oh, so like, you were you were just having fun. Like that's why people do it. Like you were actually yeah, having... just like really enjoying the moment. And plus, like I got taken down and and I got slammed hard. Yeah, which yeah. made me laugh. 
Yeah. And it's just, just kind of like the like just thinking of the the absurdity of the entire situation. Training for like an eight month camp that was supposed to be three months. And then that having happened. a fight called off, <laughs> having it back on, going back into training. I mean, like, when you, get, when you get taken down, where you're like, damn it, <laughs> out of all yeah, that, yeah. I still get taken down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, just the fact that, like, when you know, like, even like the absurdity of you know something is coming yeah, from your opponent and still being unable to stop it, even though yeah. you're like, see, you know they're going to go for it, they're going to come in, and just sort of like cursing yourself. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, oh, that must be frustrating. But, but, but you turned it around. So getting the knockout, remember, like, you got him down, switch, side control, punches, knees. Um, but before that, what was the talk on your cage on your corner? So what what flipped? What flipped in the switch? Or did anything? Flip? Uh, just... I wouldn't know. I would say just like after the first round, having um, my coach uh, Nick Ring, who's an accomplished uh, UFC fighter, in his oh my god, right. Nick Ring was your coach in there? Yeah, he was in my corner. Wow. As well as uh, Will Monzon, who was um, who's it was a person that uh, coached me throughout the camp and uh, that actually started martial arts mm -hmm. with back way back um even as much as like seven eight years ago or something like yeah, that I when i first got to uh champions creed at the gym and having trust in them and having them tell me the things that i was doing right the things that i was doing wrong and the things mm -hmm. that i needed to do mm -hmm. and having it just be that simple mm -hmm. as well as uh, like being honest and telling me when i lost around and telling me what i needed to put urgency on and making me believe that um I was strong where my opponents was weak in that kind of situations and moments to capitalize on. So, yeah. He, he was, he had the height advantage and the length advantage over you, but then, yeah. I'm trying to- lots of that. He had height, yeah, yeah, length, yeah. weight, uh, yeah. age, speed. And, um, oh, so he was younger. He was younger, definitely. He's younger, yeah, he's 25, yeah. Oh, shit. But I remember how nasty your body punches were. <laughs> yes. how much you were talking about. I thought I remember he was slowing down from the slow stream that's moving I could see him slowing down kind of a little bit and then when yeah. he went down um do you ever finish do you ever see yourself finishing a fight in the ground and pound or what are you mostly like you know what did you see how did you see yourself winning the beginning? um I knew I felt like just because of the rules right? it was more to punches yeah, the rule set and the gear that we had to wear, we are like yeah. the rule set switched and we went from getting to wear uh, four ounce gloves with the fingers to having to yeah. wear full 16 ounce boxing gloves and wearing shin pads. So I felt like just because of the injuries that I had at the time, a lot of fighters end up injured, like in almost like unavoidable after a certain point, um, was that uh, I felt like my wrestling and my defensive jujitsu were going to be weak just based off of those circumstances. Mm -hmm. So I felt like it was going to be contested uh, either with striking or in those weird, unique positions that only happen in MMA that facilitate um, different types of striking that wouldn't normally exist in like places yeah, like a traditional kickboxing and natural boxing. Right? I guess grappling is a little harder with those gloves. And all yeah, grappling is way harder with the gloves. Yeah, you can't really get a knee bar like that. With yeah, it's harder because you can't uh, really manipulate with uh, your fingers the sort of grips too. and the yeah, things that no you need, grip. getting the traction that you need. I see. Well, you got the finish. So congratulations. I've said that many times. We got to party after. We got to do shots after anyway. So, so. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, man, like, uh, yeah, watching that, then watching the anime, and then watching UFC or anything afterwards is definitely like um, mind opening. Because it's like, yo, this is how I felt about one friend who wasn't even like fighting a John Jones or Anderson Silva or whatever. And that's thank how God. I felt doing it. And I'm like, oh, thank God. Like yeah. <laughs> the anxiety that all these events put through. Plus there's like a million dollars on the line. So I guess the important question is, well, should Gearless Joe fight Jake Paul? <laughs> <laughs> what would happen? <laughs> Let's break it down. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Jake Paul thing is such a frustrating. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just like it's a microcosm of the world just rewarding shitty people for doing shitty things and shitty <laughs> behavior. Yo, yo, Megalo Box, like, you know, it'd be funny if there was a season three where we actually have a mockery of Jake Paul become a character. You can see that, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. it's like an American. It has to be American. It's got to be like yeah. this American, like yeah. YouTuber or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and they're always blonde. They're always like some blonde American, like yeah. that's like really, like really hams it up and is a little bit on the nose. Yeah. yeah, but then he has to have like a gear that's like yo next level. Like it should be borderline illegal, just to make it that much more like antagonizing. Oh yeah, trying to yeah imagine that. I like the yeah the philosophies behind gear. 
yeah. corporations. It's almost and like I think, anything about it. It's like almost like steroids and shit like that. There's, they do enhance performance yeah. by a lot, and they can. That's exactly what I thought about throughout the my watch of the series. This is a pretty big analogy to um, the technology and the medical benefits of steroids and the training that goes into you know fighting and building an athlete. Like how much of an athlete is human versus how much is chemical versus how much is training versus how much is mentality versus how so much crazy. is genetics yeah kind of so, so there's that huge big open world of what it is that constitutes fighting so crazy so yeah man in the future of fighting what's in it for brian ah uh, i'd like to say i have one or two more fights or wars left in me but uh, I better be doing those I keep, those I keep saying that, but I'm not the fighter. I keep saying you got to ride the momentum. Like, you call it yeah. after that. Yeah. Plus, you got to do it during COVID. Like, people didn't get to see. Like, you know. I know. I'd love to, like, fight in front of a live audience <laughs> with uh, all my friends and family. I feel like you the got audience, win or that. lose, just put on a valiant effort and put a performance on that I can be proud of. Mm-hmm. But I got to get to be uh, doing that sooner rather than later. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to eventually transition into probably more coaching gigs or... Personal development, like um, getting more into grappling and jujitsu. You can t- definitely take the mindset and like the coaching mindset of fighting, and that that's probably what you do with like when teaching youth and everything, eh? Yeah, I love mentoring youth and uh, building community through art and creativity, and I've never done that yeah. with uh, the creativity that I have with martial arts. So I'd love to find a way to sort of bridge those kind of worlds together. Yeah, yeah, definitely with a fighter's mentality, bringing that to even with like rap and like poetry and stuff like that so i think that's really cool i would love to see you get in another fight but if not man we got to see that through yeah, you know, yeah. through an iphone <laughs> check yeah. out brian francisco man like oh yo anything you want to plug away on antics and all that uh yeah uh just uh to be clear i'm out here as an official spokesperson of antics but antics arts is a non-profit and charity that uh, I do a lot of work with that I'm very proud of and stuff like that and does a lot of mentorship and creative community projects mm-hmm. as well as I like to shout out a place that I formerly volunteered at which is uh, the Distress Center um, which is uh, a place that you can call and uh, any of their wonderful amazing volunteers will talk to you uh, during times of crisis and hopefully get you uh, the help, the listening, and any of the resources that you may or may not need throughout the city. So, uh, yeah, cool things that I need. I'm gonna definitely plug that under the description. Check them out. Antics, man, such a good program. I got to teach rap there with a couple of the students. A lot of potential, a lot of potential, man. You're, you're raising them right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, super honored to uh, sort of have that job and like be around uh, the youth and the community that I do get to be a part of. Sick, sick. Yo, thank you so much for coming to the show brian francisco everyone oh man like i can't wait to see season two and chat more about that and the ending of evangelion we got yeah so much we got to catch up on (laughs) and watch and stream and figure out and stuff like that together so absolutely much love thank you so much twizzy yeah for real we could even do like maybe a future episode like the final evangelion plus season two megalobox we'll see how it goes but yo uh gang thanks so much for watching hope you learned a little something something about fighters mentality and uh go check out the animes we mentioned if you ain't check out the next episode or whatever i create next thank you so much for tuning in this is brian francisco my name is tuzzy ramos good day